Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is our first Sunday in a new series uh, called Acts. One church, one mission. It's the book of Acts. So, you know, I saw in the news this week uh, something that interested me. And I remember this is uh, something that wouldn't have ever made headlines uh, a couple of months ago, of course. But uh, that movie theaters are actually starting to reopen and, and allow more people to come and watch movies. I don't know how many of you in here are moviegoers. Uh, there's actually a book by that title, but uh, uh, you haven't been able to go for a while. So now suddenly you're able to go back to the movies, or at least soon you'll be able to. And I, it brought to my mind, I wonder what it would be like if every uh, book of the Bible had a movie made about it. What genre would each book be, if you think about that? If, if, if Genesis were made into a movie, what type of movie would that be? And I would say Genesis and Exodus, we'd probably say those are epic dramas, right? Just the creation of the world, uh, God's people sold into slavery, and then he redeems them through miracles, just epic movies. Uh, if you think about the next three books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'd probably say, well, that's a, a documentary or something, maybe a, a training film uh, that you know, that we don't find as exciting, and yet there's still a lot of good stuff in there. Ruth and Song of Solomon, we'd probably put those in maybe the romance category. Uh, what about Psalms? Uh, Psalms and some other books, we'd say that's a musical, right? A lot of singing, uh, just nonstop. What kind of movie would you say the minor prophets would be, though? After just, we went through the minor prophets the last 12 weeks. I think we'd probably have to say those are apocalyptic, uh, end times, uh, some might even say those are like horror movies uh, because there's so much just kind of dark doom and gloom and really some terrible stuff that happens in there. Uh, and then we get to the Gospels in the New Testament, which I would call a divine drama. You know, just these amazing, you could almost call those a miniseries, just story after story after story of, of the coming of the Messiah and how he brings redemption. And then uh, skip past Acts for just one second. We get to the epistles. We would call those maybe educational films, right? A lot of teaching going on in those. But come back to Acts. What I would like us to say uh, as we as we look at this for the next 12 weeks, I think what we would say is Acts is really an action thriller. I mean, you look at the name itself, just the name of the book of Acts uh, is action. Uh, that's really even the Greek word really means action or doing uh, the, the doings uh, is what it's called. And if you look in your English Bible, it probably says the Acts of the Apostles. Does it, uh, most of your Bibles say that? Uh, I don't believe that's actually in the original of the apostles is not in the original. Okay. It just says the doings. And as we're going to see, it's actually the acts of God that he did through the apostles. Yes, the apostles played a key role, but we have to remember that what happens in this book uh, is all the actions, all the things that God accomplishes on behalf of his people. And it's a wild journey. Let me tell you, like I said, it's an action thriller. We're going to see that from week to week. But if you stop and think about it, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So what happens between chapter one and chapter 28? What are all these things that are going to happen? And it's roughly a span of, let's say, 30 years. What happens? Well, I will tell you this. I think the entire world is changed for all eternity. In these 28 chapters, God changes the world in a way that uh, had never been done before. You have these 12 disciples, uh, or 11, after Judas goes away. Um, uh, 12 disciples, 11 disciples, a few hundred followers 
just uneducated people, as we're going to see, become a major movement that sweeps across the entire Roman Empire, across the entire known world at all levels of society. It's not just poor people. It's not just one ethnicity. It's not just men. It's not just women. It's throughout all levels of society. This movement permeates all of it. Tens of thousands of people convert to Christianity and come to know the living God. They turn from worshiping idols and worship the living God and they're living with him uh, in eternity right now. There are churches planted in every corner of the civilized world. You know, if you read through your New Testament, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, those are names of cities. Thessalonians, Thessalonica, Colossae, those are all names of cities. So the gospel goes out to every corner of the known world and there are churches that are planted. We're going to talk a little more about that next week as we talk about uh, Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. And I think how wonderful is it that we have a church being birthed even next week right here at Trinity on the Sunday when we're studying Pentecost in Acts 2. You know, there, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell every single believer, fulfilling so many promises that God has made through Jesus and, and even before Jesus came. There are countless healings. People are raised from the dead. Demons are cast out. We have our first martyrdom, the first person who's killed for the name of Jesus Christ. We have people thrown in prison for the Gospels, beatings. People are, there are attempted murders. Uh, people are, are trying to kill Christians. You know, Acts is this action-packed 28 chapters of how the church began and of how God plans to transform the world through the church. And so that's what we want to look at it. One church, one mission, the mission that God has given to his church. And we say here at Trinity, the mission of Trinity Church is to develop wholehearted followers of Christ. And guess what? That is the mission of the early church in Acts as well, to develop wholehearted followers of Christ. People who come to know Jesus and then follow him with their whole heart. And as we see today, they don't keep that to that to themselves. Uh, They share that with those around them. And so uh, we are on the same mission as the early church. We are, are part of that same mission that God gave to his church. And so this morning, I would just invite you to join me on this journey as we begin these 12 weeks walking through the book of Acts. Um, let God speak to you. You know, this is not just past history that we're looking at. Uh, this is not just a story uh, that we just read about. It's a story in which we are all characters. God says, I want to continue to change the world. And my plan is to use my people and my church to do that, to draw people to me for all eternity. And so we are characters in this story and God wants us to join him in the journey. So 28 chapters in 12 weeks, as you can imagine, there's going to be a lot of things we can't cover. So from week to week, you'll see we're going to hit on uh, different uh, different key events. And also we're going to focus in on some key messages. You know, there's an interesting study you could do on the book of Acts is just to look at the sermons that are preached in Acts. And so a couple of our messages from week to week are going to focus on some of those messages. And I look forward to that, seeing how God spoke to people long ago and how he continues to speak to us uh, through those messages today. Uh, so this morning, uh, it's called The Journey Begins. We're going to be looking at the first chapter of Acts, and there's really two parts uh, to our message, to our passage today. Uh, one is it's the beginning of the book. So we get a little bit of background information that I think if we don't have that background information, uh, you'll miss out on, on where we're coming from and where we're going. So we're going to spend a little time looking at the background, and then we want to look at the message con- included in these first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. And so we're going to 
start with the background in uh, verses 1 through 5. And so I've got these uh, up on the screen. I'm going to read them. So just follow along and look at the screen as I read these verses out loud. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this is the word of God. So that's the first part of our passage this morning is those first five verses. And as we think about this, uh, just just going back to these first couple verses about the background of this book. And the first thing we want to talk about is the author, the author. And we believe the author of Acts is Luke, uh, Luke, the physician. And how do we know that? Um, in verse one, it's interesting. He says, and really we want to talk about not just the author, but also the audience. And so, uh, in Luke one, he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so, uh, he's saying there was another book before this one. And so most of you may know, some of you may know this, this may be brand new news to you, but Acts is actually volume two of the book of Luke. And it's funny how our, our Bible is arranged. We've got Luke, John, and then Acts. Really, Luke and Acts could have been put right together with each other because it's volume one, volume two. Uh, volume one, Luke is the prequel. Volume two, Acts is the sequel. So the two books go together. And so we know from uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we also know from some things that are said uh, throughout the New Testament that Luke uh, was an, uh, uh, um, a friend of Paul's that went with him on his journeys uh, and then recorded all these things. Colossians 4 talks about this in a couple places. The book of Philemon uh, and 2 Timothy 4 are all places that talk about Luke accompanying Paul. And then in, in the book of Acts, we see him talking about we went here and we joined uh, Paul there. And, and we just believe that this is why, why Luke is the author. Why is that important? The other thing we want to see about this is the audience that he's talking to. He says, I'm writing this book to you, Theophilus. And uh, if we go back to uh, to Luke chapter 1, we're going to go back there in just a second. He says he addresses Luke to, to Theophilus as well. So who is this Theophilus that Luke is writing to? Well, it's believed that uh, the word Theophilus actually means lover of God. Okay, Theo means God, Philos or Phileo means love. So lover of God. So Paul or Luke is writing to someone who's a lover of God. And he says, I want to tell you these things because I know you love God. And so there's been a lot of debate. Is there actually a person named Theophilus or is Luke just writing to anyone who would call themselves a lover of God? Uh, the second part is definitely true. God, uh, Luke is definitely writing to anyone who knows God and wants to love God. But we believe there actually was a person named Theophilus as well. Maybe a benefactor who sponsored Luke who said, hey, I'll pay for you to write these things down. Or uh, you travel around with Paul and record these things. We don't know how all that worked. Uh, but, but we do believe that Luke wrote this book uh, to a person named Theophilus. And we get to listen in. Because here's the thing. We are part of the audience as well. Theophilus was the original person that was written to, but if you know God, if you love him, or if you think you might be about to love him, I would invite you to join in and listen to the words of this book. Listen to these words of scripture, because God wants you to be the author and to listen to what he says through his servant, Luke. 
But we can't talk about Luke without talking about the book, okay? And like I said, this is part two of Luke's work. Uh, Luke, the book of Luke is part one and Acts is part two. And so let's go all the way back to the beginning of Luke. I want to look at these verses. Luke chapter one, verses one through four. This is the intro uh, to the book of Luke. It says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, so it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. This is Luke saying, I'm writing this book to you. You've already heard a lot about Jesus, but I want to write this book to you and give you eyewitness accounts of what happened. That's volume one. And then we get to volume two, which I love. Acts chapter one, verse one. In that first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and he began to teach. What does that mean? That little word began means that he was just getting started. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you about what he continued to do. And in fact, I'm going to tell you about what he plans to do in the future. You know, this book, the book of Acts that we're jumping into, it carries on the story of Jesus's work that he began to do. And I love it. Flip all the way to the end of the book, if you don't mind. Flip all the way to the Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. This is the end of the book. I want to read the last two verses of the book. Because where it ends is really interesting. You know, Luke tells all these action-packed stories. And you get to the end, you think he's going to wrap it all up in some amazing way and say, and thus the church was born. But that's not how it ends. It says... Uh, this is talking about Paul living in Rome. You'll find out who Paul is. He's a major character in the book. Acts 28 verses 30 and 31. Talking about Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Period. That's the end of the book. It's kind of like, wait, and then what happens? What happens next, Luke? And, you know, it's it's funny. I think Luke leaves us hanging for a reason. We're going to see this when we get to the book of Acts. There's actually a ministry called Acts 29. Uh, and the whole purpose of the title of that ministry is to say, God's work is not finished. We are living in Acts 29. We are the 29th chapter of Acts, if you will. We are carrying on this work that God begins in the book of Acts. And what is that work? We're going to see what it is uh, starting today. So that's where we are. Uh, that's the, the author, the book. And then we got to talk a little bit about the situation, uh, the situation that is going on right here in chapter one of Acts. And so we see for our text today, if we look at verses two and three, what situation is going on? It says, uh, Jesus began to teach until the day he was taken up. In other words, he's been raised from the dead. Now all his followers are hanging out with him thinking, this is so amazing. We saw Jesus die. We saw him put in the grave. And here he is living with us right now. How amazing would that be to be in the presence of the living Jesus after his resurrection? Verse 3, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. How amazing would it be? They're, they're just hanging out with Jesus. He's given them more teaching, telling them what the kingdom of God's going to be like. And I think if you were one of those followers, you'd probably be thinking, this is it. 
This is, I mean, Jesus came back to life. Now we're going to launch the kingdom. I mean, this is it. The end of the world is probably about here. Uh, praise God. We're so glad Jesus came back to life. And they're hanging out with him and doing that. Jesus is, a, but what they don't know is that Jesus is about to go into heaven and leave them behind. Uh, and that's what we're going to read about here in just a minute in the second part of our passage. So the situation for them is they're sitting there talking to the risen Lord, receiving teaching from him. But there's another situation going on as well. And that's what I would call the bigger picture, the, the world history situation. And this is something we don't want to miss when we look at the book of Acts, is that when Jesus came, when he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven here in Acts chapter 1. It's a unique moment in world history. In fact, it's what scripture calls the fullness of time or when the time had fully come. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, flip over here. This is, this is Paul talking about the significance of when Jesus came in world history. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you ever stop to think about why did God send Jesus at the time that he did, right at that moment in history? Why didn't he send him 400 years earlier at the end of Malachi? Why did he make them go through that 400 years of silence? Why didn't he wait another 400 years and send him uh, after the Romans had fallen from power or something like that? But God says, when the fullness of time had come, one more verse, Act, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite in all, th all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what scripture tells us is that there's something unique about the moment in which Jesus was born, the, the period of history that he was born, and it made it an ideal time for God to send Jesus, not an ideal time, the ideal time for him to send Jesus as the Savior who would become the Savior of the world. And so what was that moment? What's the situation in world history that made it so? So we can look back on it now with hindsight, 2020 hindsight, right? And say, what was so special about that moment? And there are a couple of things I want to mention. One is, uh, you know, Jesus was born during the reign of the Romans, the Roman Empire. And so there were a few things going on that made it possible for what happens in the book of Acts, for the gospel to go forward thousands and thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. One would be this, the Roman Empire had what they called the Roman peace or Pax Romana. Uh, in other words, uh, the world at that time was at relative peace. For the next 100, 200 years, there, there was relative stability in the world. And what that meant was there was a good network of roads, uh, a good network of communication. Uh, in other words, people could travel widely and spread this good news in a way that wouldn't have been possible 400 years earlier or even four or 500 years later. It was a unique point in history. So Roman roads uh, and communication. The other thing that's really big about this is that the Greek culture and Greek language were all over the place at this time. It was widespread. So the Romans followed the Greeks, and it's said that the Romans took the Greek culture uh, wherever they went. And so the entire civilized world, if we could call it that, spoke one language, and it was Greek. Uh, and so uh, we have our New Testament, which was written in Greek. That could be spread all over the known, uh, known world and, and understood by many, many people. So Greek culture and language. 
So why was now the right time? Uh, I think some of those external factors are there. That's part of the situation that was going on at the time that all these things in Acts were happening. This is why Paul could travel from Jerusalem to Antioch to Rome and all these different places because of the things that were true in the world. I want to pause right there, though, and say I think when you look at the course of human history, I sort of feel like when you look at some of those things that were going on during the days of Acts, there's a lot of similarities with where we are right now as far as being so connected with transportation. I mean, think about how fast a virus can spread, right? (laughs) We're connected with transportation, with communication, the Internet. Uh, Even this, as far as saying there's one language that's spoken in more places around the world than any other right now, and that is English. Um, And so all these things, I would say, give us as the church a tremendous opportunity to carry the gospel forward. You know, some of those things are challenges, but God, I think, can use them to multiply his gospel. You know, if you were to ask some of those early Christians, is the Roman Empire a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I'm sure it would depend on which day you ask them, because the Roman Empire was trying to kill them, burn them, uh, throw them in prison, feed them to the beasts. And yet it was that very thing that God used to spread his gospel. And so I would say to you that we're in a unique moment in, in history again where I think we are poised for a great work of God through his church. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to look at the book of Acts today and over the next few weeks uh, so that we can see how it is that God calls us to participate and carry forward to complete Acts chapter 29, if you will. The last thing we see in this intro section as we kind of look at the background is uh, is this idea of the instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples as they're waiting. What does he say in verses 4 and 5? He says, And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, he talks about waiting for the promise of the Father. So this is what he says, as, as you're waiting for me to leave and as after I leave and you're waiting, what are you going to wait for? Wait for the promise of the Father to arrive. And so what are we talking about here? Here's another key thing in this first chapter of Acts that if we miss this, you won't be able to explain the rest of the book. Okay, And that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. See, we, uh, we're called Trinity Church. Trinity Church worships the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son came with the coming of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is, after I go back to heaven, in not many days from now, the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell with you. And he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Now this is, uh, you know, if you think about this, we're going to talk a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit throughout Acts, throughout the book of Acts, because what the early church accomplishes, what God does to save people would not be possible if the Holy Spirit wasn't there. It's part of God's plan, a part of God, how God operates. And it's the power that enables God's people to accomplish the mission they've been given. It's like if you had a brand new car uh, that somebody gave you, gave you the keys and they said, hey, here's your new car. Uh, And there was no gas in that car. You could crank it all you wanted. You could sit in that car. But it wouldn't go anywhere if you didn't have gas in the tank. And it's exactly the same way God says this to his people. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't try to go out on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, we'll see what happens.
But I want to spend a moment here. When Jesus talks about this, it says, wait for the promise of the Father. I want to spend just a minute talking about this. This is so key uh, to what happens in Acts. What is this promise of the Father? Uh, we want to go back to some of Jesus' teaching in the book of John. So Jesus, it's interesting, he calls this the promise of the Father, even though he, the Son, is the one who promised it. In other words, he's promising what God is going to deliver. John fourteen sixteen through 18, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So God says, if you know me, my spirit is going to come and dwell with you forever, in you forever. So what we have with the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with you at all times. If you know God, if you trusted Jesus, you have the presence of God living inside you at all times. That's something that was not possible before Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Jesus made peace with God. Now God can live inside you through his Holy Spirit. So that's the first part of this promise from the Father. John fourteen eighteen, and again in verse 25, it says this, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Again, his presence. In verse 25, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So not only is he coming to to be with us, to care for us, but also to teach us. This is the promise of the Father. God says that I will be living inside you, teaching you and reminding you of the things you need to know. Teaching and reminding you of my word. You know, uh, let's look at what Luke, what Jesus says in Luke, since uh, Acts is volume 2 of Luke. So Luke chapter 12 Verses 11 and 12, it says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you even when you're arrested, when you're thrown in jail, when you're beaten, when you're facing certain death, the Holy Spirit will be there with you and he will teach you what to say. It's an amazing promise that some of the people who heard these words actually experienced in their own lifetime. It's a promise that was true throughout the book of Acts. And guess what? It's still true today. The Holy Spirit will be with you and will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. So it's so interesting to me that this is the promise of the Father delivered by the Son. Jesus says, wait for this promise. Wait for this promise. That's the instruction he gives them. You know, when you look at that word, wait for the promise of the Father. This is something I think we have to remember. We're going to hit it again just in a second, but uh, so many times we as Christians, we get a good idea. Something that seems like a good idea. I'm going to go out and I'm going to rescue that person. But God says to us, as he says to the early church, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit to prompt you. Wait and do his work. If you've received the Holy Spirit, now go and do his work. But make sure you don't jump out ahead of him and say, uh, I'm going to do my work instead of his work. In fact, that's what we're going to see here in the second part of our message. And that is the message that Jesus gives in these, in these verses, verses 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. Um, 
Let's read just the first three verses of this. Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Follow along on the screen as I read this. Just follow along as I read it out loud. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those are powerful verses. You know, I think what we see in these verses is God, you know, the the disciples get all excited. Like I said, they said, Lord, is this it? You're about to restore the kingdom and you're about to give us political power. I mean, if you can conquer the grave, you can conquer the Romans. Is this, is this it? Is this about to happen? And Jesus's answer is don't focus on time. Don't focus on dates. Don't focus on politics. Focus on the task that I've given you to complete during the time that you have. That's what I want you to focus on. Because guess what? We as humans, we're all about, is now the time? Is this it? Jesus says, don't worry about the time. It's not up to you to determine the time. It's not up to you to determine who I put in power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. So when we look at this message, there's really two things I think that Jesus says to the disciples. He says, you will receive. You will receive what? You will receive power. You will receive the Holy Spirit. That's an important word for us to realize. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. That's an important word. Because you receive something, that means it's a gift. This is not something you can earn. It's not something that, uh, as we'll see later in the book of Acts, if you're reading through this, one guy thinks he can buy the Holy Spirit. God says, this is not something you can purchase. This is something that's given to you freely, just like your salvation was given to you freely. Now this relationship with God, the God who indwells you, this is something that's given to you. You can only receive it. You can't take it. You can't steal it. You can't earn it. It's given to you. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. And yet God says, I'm going to give you power through my presence. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know, I'm thinking about last week, uh, last Saturday, it wasn't, there wasn't actually a storm that came through, but we lost power at our house for about two hours. Okay. And so this is, there was a sunny day. There wasn't even a storm in the area. And so we called in there. Yeah, there was a widespread outage out there where we live. And so, uh, uh, but it was interesting because real quick, the house started getting hot. I started worrying about my fridge. What about all that food? Like what if, what if uh, the power doesn't come back on and you realize you, you're, we're dependent on power, on electrical power. You can't function it when you're dependent on it. And I think that's the same thing for us is we have to realize that without the Holy Spirit's power as Christians, we would be paralyzed, unable to function, unable to live, unable to accomplish the purpose. And anytime we forget that, we are in great danger of doing not God's work, but our own work. And so we will receive power. What kind of power? What kind of power? You know, we're going to see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see what kind of power the Holy Spirit brings. But I want to read a verse from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Another chapter that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit who lives in you, what kind of power does He have? The same kind of power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the same kind of power that can change your life, can transform you. And guess what? God wants you to multiply that, to share that with others so He can transform others as well. Also in Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, intercedes on our behalf. You will receive power. And don't miss that second phrase. When will you receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. So many times we're tempted to think, well, if I get enough education or uh, if I get a high enough position in the church or high enough position in my job, then I'm going to have power. Then I can go out and really make a difference. But if there's one lesson from the book of Acts, it is that you have no power, no ability in and of yourself to accomplish God's mission. It's only when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, but prayer plays a huge part of this. Because I think prayer is one of the ways that we articulate our dependence on the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you flip or skip down to the very end, uh, we're going through verse 11, but go down to verse 14. This is kind of a summary. Chapter 1, verse 14. All these people, it's talking about the disciples, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see that they're just bathing everything in prayer. Over and over and again, it says they're devoted to prayer. They were praying in the room and they are lifting up the needs in prayer. And guess what? They're depending on the Holy Spirit and His power. Prayer is one of those direct links to the Holy Spirit's power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then the second thing that Jesus says, you will multiply and you will be my witnesses, He says. You will receive uh, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You know, if you think about you will receive, you're going to receive power. Well, what's that power for? It's for a very specific purpose. And that is so that you can go out and multiply the amazing love that God has shown to you and the transformation that he has worked in your life. You can go out and multiply that and share it with others. And how do you do that? It says you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Uh, What is a witness? Have you ever thought about this? In a court of law, right, they call witnesses when they're trying cases. And so a witness comes in, sits down in the witness stand, and the job of a witness is to share from his own or her own personal experience. You share from your personal experience. You tell the truth about what you saw or what you experienced, whatever it may be. You tell the truth. That's what that word means, is to tell the truth. Tell the truth about your experiences. Tell the truth about what it is that God has given you. And God says, if you've received Jesus... This amazing gift of forgiveness that he purchased through his blood. If you've received that, witness about it. Testify about it. Tell the truth. Share that with others. Proclaim the truth about what you've experienced. You think about a witness in a courtroom. Sometimes witnesses won't come to the courtroom. They won't testify. And why is that? Well, they might, they might be afraid, right? They're afraid that if they tell the truth, they're going to get hurt. Somebody might come after them. Another reason people might not want to be a witness is they're apathetic. They don't really care. What difference does it make to me whether I tell the testimony in the courtroom or not? It doesn't really affect me, so I'm not going to tell it. Or another reason people may not come to the courtroom to be a witness will be that they're too distracted. They're too busy. 
So in our court of law, this is not how it is here in Acts, but in our court of law, we actually have this thing called subpoena so that if you're a witness, you can be required to come in and tell the truth, to to bear testimony. Well, here in Acts, we don't have a subpoena, (laughs) but we do have a command, which is really an invitation from Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses. It's a promise from him. It's an invitation from him. It's a command from him. Be my witnesses. Share with others what you've received from me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And, you know, if you think about this multiplication that God calls us to, he gives us a great commandment. He says, love one another as I've loved you. Love God, love others. That's the great commandment. But then he gives us the great commission here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He also gives it in Matthew chapter 28. Um, And he says, basically, these are my final instructions to you. Before I go back to heaven, you're not going to see me again uh, until I return. Here are the last things I want to tell you. You go and be my witnesses. After you receive the Holy Spirit, you've received this power. Go be my witnesses. Multiply this great love with others. It's a final instruction. And in case you haven't noticed, it's not optional. God says, if you're my follower... You are called to be, you will be my witnesses. This picture of multiplication. You tell someone who then tells someone, and soon more and more people are telling others about Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Acts verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, is we see it multiplying geographically, right? They begin in Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified. Uh, they move to Judea, so their surrounding area. Uh, and then to Samaria, which is actually a... Uh, a foreign entity. It's not really a native, uh, not an ethnic Jew. It's a different ethnicity. And then they move to the ends of the earth. This is fulfillment of the Old Testament. Some of the things we saw in the minor prophets, what you see in the book of Isaiah, to the ends of the earth, you will be witnesses. So it multiplies geographically. We see in the book of Acts that more were being added to their number daily. It multiplies numerically. And we also see a big theme in the book of Acts is that it multiplies ethnically. Um, The gospel is for all ethnicities and all languages. Every tribe, tongue, and language will worship God because of the work of Jesus Christ. You know, the thing about a healthy organism is that it must multiply. Whether it's a plant, an animal, whatever, a healthy organism will multiply. And, you know, the church has been called an organism. It's a living entity. It's an organization, sure, but it's also an organism, a living thing that God wants to multiply. And so that's my challenge to you this morning is is the message from Jesus is you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. And then he says you will multiply. You will witness on my behalf. And these things will, will go around the world. So that's the question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If you've trusted Christ, you have. And you have the same power available to you that raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power. And so that brings us to the second question. Are you multiplying? I hope the answer is yes. I hope you're multiplying the love of God. You're bearing witness about your relationship with him. You're sharing with others what he has shared with you. And that's multiplying his grace and his salvation to many others, both within the church and without. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer in the days ahead, that we will uh, um, listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit, depend on his power, 
And that we will also multiply what we have received from him so that many, many more will come to know him for all eternity. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And God, we praise you for the book of Acts and what you began to do uh, during those days. And God, we pray that you would continue to do it through us, your humble servants. God, help us to depend on you and on your Holy Spirit each day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now go and make disciples.